listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. Good morning, uh, church family. It is good to be with you this morning. We will be continuing on in the the topic we've been discussing for several weeks now on uh, the biblical idea of forgiveness. And it is a biblical idea. Uh, I know for myself, uh, I've kind of been wrestling this whole week with uh, something Pastor Charlie said last week in his sermon. Uh, He said a lot of um, really insightful things, but one of the things he said that just kind of struck me personally was the idea that the ones who have wounded you most will never be the ones who heal you. And I think that is an aspect of, uh, of something we have probably all walked through on some level when we are in the position of needing to offer forgiveness. We only want to extend that if the person has adequately paid for what they have done. So I know over all of these weeks that we've been uh, talking about this idea of forgiveness that is clearly within the scriptures, and I would say most people understand is an aspect of the Christian message. I know for all of these weeks, for myself, as I have have sat there and received the word of God, uh, there are just names and faces that come to mind when this topic comes up from my, my own journey and my own relationships and uh, hurts I have received from others, I kind of had to just sit in and process uh, between myself and the Lord uh, with those situations, with those scenarios, with those people that immediately come to mind when the Bible commands us to forgive and those faces flash before me. I have had to sit and wrestle with, have I actually extended the forgiveness that God's word has called me to. And so we are going to uh, continue to discuss this and uh, hopefully provide a a couple other ways to to think about this and for uh, God to just uh, pierce our hearts and draw us closer to himself through his word and through an aspect of the gospel message that is central and that is forgiveness. Uh, So in the 1700s, a British poet named Alexander Pope wrote this poem called An Essay on Criticism. And within it, he kind of unpacked in uh, kind of this rhetorical style um, how literary critics interact in the world and how they are always just kind of being critical. And um, as a poet, he had received a lot of that criticism over time, and so he had this really epic poem on literary critics. Uh, But there's a certain line that he wrote in his poem, an essay on criticism, that has kind of now just moved into collective knowledge, and you would probably recognize it, because he wrote this line. He said, to err is human, and to forgive is divine. It's kind of just kind of come a part of our collective uh, Western knowledge, uh, this line, but that's where it originated. And I would say there's just a a reason that has probably uh, stood the test of time now, and a lot of people know that phrase and have repeated that phrase, is because it is true. It would be true of all of our experiences on the front end to err is human. Humans err. That happens every single day. Uh, We err, the people around us err, and so we would recognize that aspect of the existence we have walked through, of this life we have walked through. And then I'll say the second half of his statement is also true. To forgive is divine. 
And so we attribute that often to God, and we recognize that aspect of his character, that he is a forgiving God, but there is also an aspect of when God calls us into that position, and when the the biblical narrative is for us as human beings to extend forgiveness, it is walking as his children as well. For us to forgive others is also to partake in the divine, because it's what God has called us to and is found truly in his character. And so we are uh, this morning going to dig into two passages in the book of Colossians that do relate to each other and I think will be instructive for us this morning. And we're going to continue to dig into how the word of God both calls us to forgive and how also God equips us for the task that at times can seem insurmountable. And so the first passage we are going to look at is in Colossians chapter 2. We're just going to look at a couple of verses verse 13 and 15, and then we're also going to look at a couple of verses in Colossians chapter 3. And so this is what the word of the Lord says to us this morning, Colossians 2, verse 13 through 15. It says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If uh, I could provide some distinction from these uh, two different uh, sets of verses we're going to look at, I, w- I would say this first uh, set of verses I would just describe as um, our spiritual reality we are living. And then we're also going to look at um, a more practical, lived out goal of the gospel message. And so I would say these first couple of verses do describe a spiritual reality that has taken place in our life. It uses a lot of metaphorical language. It, it is things we are familiar with within the church setting, but it is describing something that is spiritual or something that is supernatural because it talks about that. You were dead in your trespasses. We, we use this language a lot to talk about our sinfulness, that we have this spiritual deadness in us, but we also know that it is a metaphor to talk about our reality within the spiritual realm of the life we are living. And so that's what he is doing right now. And so one of the things you find within the scriptures is that there is this spiritual reality that is described, but we are called to walk it out in our temporal lives. And so what he is saying right now is like you were spiritually dead, you were brought to life, and your sins have been forgiven because of the work of Jesus. And so that is a reality we're supposed to live out. That our forgiveness has been accomplished as we were just singing about so beautifully. But that's not necessarily something we can see. It is a reality we have to believe and try to live out. And the Bible does this a lot. Uh, I want us to look in Romans chapter 6. You know, we just got out of Romans. But uh, hopefully, since it was recent in our hearing, we can talk about this in regards to our sinfulness and how the Bible describes the spiritual reality that now, as we follow Jesus, we are trying to live out in this temporal reality of the lives we live every single day. And so Romans chapter 6 describes this with our sin, and I think that would be helpful for us in our understanding. So give me a moment to flip there. So Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11, also describes a spiritual reality that we are supposed to live out. This is what it says. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the spiritual reality it is discussing is that when we have placed our faith in Jesus, we have been set free from the power of sin in our life. And so we know that's a spiritual reality. That is something we talk about. But then we also can recognize we struggle to live that out even as followers of Jesus. Like we still struggle with sin. And so Paul's last statement right there is, you must consider yourself dead to sin. You, you need to recognize in your life this spiritual reality and attempt to walk in it by faith in Jesus Christ. And I think he's doing the same thing in this Colossians passage that we need to recognize the extent of the forgiveness God has offered to us and how that affects our lives every single day. So this is what he said. He says, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made us alive having forgiven us all our trespasses. Then he says this, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us, with its legal demands, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There is this biblical reality that is portrayed throughout the scriptures that our God that we serve, that we see in the Bible, is a God of justice. And so there is this picture painted that there is this cosmic scale of justice because of the character and nature of God and the law he embedded in reality. And when people have sinned against a holy God, the scale of justice has been tipped towards being guilty. That is the position we find ourselves in, that there have been these trespasses, this sinfulness, these choices we have made that have put all of us in this position of condemnation according to the holiness and righteousness of God. And so what the Bible is saying, what has transpired spiritually on our behalf through the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus is that all of the condemnation, all of the punishment that we deserved Christ took on himself so that in its stead we would receive forgiveness. That is a spiritual reality that we are supposed to walk out in our temporal lives, that we are a forgiven people, not because it disappeared in the ether, but because God nailed our punishment to the cross into the body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know that that is a gospel reality. That is, that is central to the things we, we preach and talk about all the time here in church is that we have been um, found with a righteousness that was not our own, that we have been brought into here only by the sacrifice of Jesus. But that has to be the starting point in our conversation about forgiveness because if we do not understand this, we will never be able to walk into the other aspects of this reality God has called us to. So because of Jesus, I have been forgiven of all the wrong I have done in the past, the things I continue to choose, and all of the things I will do in the future. 
That is the spiritual reality of my life, and that is something that I am attempting to let sink deeply into my bones as a person so that I would walk as a forgiven person in remembering the truths of the scriptures. So in this topic of conversation um, uh, of forgiveness and, and knowing that it is moving towards how are we supposed to offer this, I would say that at times it is easy for us to downplay the reality that we are a forgiven person. That when we read this spiritual reality that we were dead and then Jesus made us alive and our, our sins have been nailed to the cross so that we could receive forgiveness, I would say in our, our day-to-day temporal lives, we can forget that that is our position. That I, walking around every day, I'm a product of God's mercy. And so I, I do not deserve any of the good things that I am receiving in life or even uh, this life I have to begin with. It is not something I have earned, achieved, or am deserving of, but I'm walking around as a forgiven person. And I can downplay that in my own heart in mind. And I would say not only that, I would say I, I, I'm, I'm starting to hear this more prominent idea just kind of in larger culture, either uh, from interviews or articles or um, YouTube videos or podcasts. I'm, I'm hearing more and more people kind of downgrade the idea of needing to ask for forgiveness at all. And so I, I've begun to hear that through uh, voices and influencers and different people when kind of asked about like, hey, do you have any regrets or have you ever asked for forgiveness? I feel like this question is starting to come up more and more. And I'm, I'm hearing prominent voices that have influence over people and people are looking at their manner of life, kind of downplaying it like, you know what? Uh, I have not asked for forgiveness. And in fact, I don't see the need to ask for forgiveness. And so it's usually along the lines of, you know, uh, just all the things in my past, they've, they've made me who I am today, so I, I don't see the need to ask for forgiveness for any of the things that I've done. And that is not a biblical idea. Because if we lose sight of our need for forgiveness, then we will never be a person who offers forgiveness. In Luke chapter 7, we get this interaction with Jesus where he is at uh, the home of a Pharisee sharing a meal and this woman bursts into the scene who uh, the people around the table know that she is a, a woman who is engaged in prostitution. And there's not even this interaction that happens between her and Jesus, but she comes to his feet and begins to, to weep over Jesus. And not only that, she has this very expensive perfume that she breaks and anoints Jesus and then uh, crying over his feet, bathes his feet with her tears and her hair. And this interaction begins to happen between Jesus and his host of the meal, this Pharisee, because they're thinking to themselves, man, if this um, um, supposed teacher of God knew the sinfulness of this woman, he would not want her to even touch him. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, begins to instruct them. And he points out, he says, you know, when I, when I came into your home, although I was a guest in your home, you, you offered me nothing. You didn't bathe my feet, which was a cultural custom at the time. You didn't greet me with a kiss. He's like, but since she has come in, she has done nothing but kissed my feet and bathed my feet with her hair and offered this perfume as a sacrifice for me. And then Jesus makes this very profound statement. He said, those who have been forgiven little love little. And those who have been forgiven much, love much. And so central to the gospel, and not only our understanding, but us living it out, is the need to recognize that my sin, not theoretical, 
actual, the, the decisions I have made, the choices I have made, my sin is an affront to a holy God that must be dealt with. And thank God that my sin has been forgiven because my punishment was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. But if I lose sight of that spiritual reality, I will never walk in the truth of what God is calling me to as a disciple of Jesus. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. The reality is everyone has been forgiven much even if we don't recognize it in our life. So I pray that we would recognize that we have been forgiven much so that we would be a people that love much. And then Paul goes into this other statement, how the reality of our forgiveness that was set aside and nailed to the cross. In verse 15, he says this. He, meaning Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in him. So anytime the Bible talks about rulers and authorities, it is also talking about a spiritual reality. That uh, the things we see, just the, the temporal things that aren't the, the fullest extent of what we are walking in. And so as uh, people of the book, uh, people of God, we believe that there is a spiritual reality. There are spiritual beings. There are angels and there are demons and there is a, a Satan that wants to deceive us and remove us from fellowship with God and with other people. And that's what he is talking about. And so Paul relates these two ideas right here, that this idea of forgiveness of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf on the cross so that we could receive forgiveness of sins, he relates that to a, a triumphing over the spiritual forces of darkness in the world around us. So that's what that means when it says he disarmed rulers and authorities, the, the spiritual forces that would want to separate you from God, their weapon uh, to use against us is accusation that we are not forgiven. And so Paul is relating those two things that um, when we recognize our position of a forgiven person that all of my sin has been dealt with, that removes uh, the spiritual authority to keep us in bondage. It offers us spiritual freedom in Christ. But the Bible is also very clear. Unforgiveness in my heart towards someone else can lead me back into spiritual bondage. Pastor Charlie mentioned that last week, that Satan is always at work in relational fracture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27 says this, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The Bible is pretty clear that it relates those two ideas in the reality we are living out when we uh, are stuck in a position of unforgiveness it gives spiritual evil a foothold in our life. That's what Paul is talking about right here in Ephesians, that uh, be angry and do not sin. Don't let it go down on your anger. Give the devil no opportunity. It is saying that when we disregard that gospel principle of us being a person having received forgiveness, that is the disarming aspect of rulers, authorities in our life. When we, in return, are not an extension of God's forgiveness, it allows spiritual bondage to come back into our lives. And so when I think about this topic of forgiveness and the instruction from God's word, I think that uh, two of the biggest obstacles we face in extending forgiveness to others, one is that we don't think we need to. 
And I would say that typically happens when we take a very minimal view of our own sin and how great the work Christ had to do so that I could receive forgiveness. That is that downplaying effect that, you know what, I've been pretty moral most of my life. I'm a rule follower. I keep the rules. But those other sinners out there, they need to get their act together. We begin to think like that, especially, I would say, within the religious setting. Because hopefully, the longer you've been in church, the longer you've been following Jesus, it has had an impact on how you live out your life in the world. Hopefully, you are a kinder person. Hopefully, you do work very hard to stay away from sinfulness or what the Bible describes as sinfulness. And so hopefully, there is this drawing closer to Jesus over time, but it can also have the effect that we begin to forget how much we have been forgiven. You know, we haven't been mean to anybody in months, or we haven't cut anybody else out in traffic. You know, I always tell the truth. We do those things, and so we begin to build ourselves up, and we forget how much we have been forgiven. And when we do that, we forget how much we should offer love. And so that's one of the big obstacles we face in offering forgiveness. We don't think we need to. You know, if we, if we could live our lives really good and moral, why can't everybody else? And so they just need to get their act together. I think the other obstacle many of us face in offering forgiveness is that we don't think we can. That whatever that person did to us, whatever that situation called for in our life, you literally feel incapable of like, I just, I just can't. I, I can't let it go. It, is, it has been too much, too much water under the bridge. Like, there's, there's no possible way, even if I wanted to, there's no way that I could actually extend biblical forgiveness to somebody else. And let me just tell you, not to be cliche or to sound overly Christian, that is of the devil. And so that's what uh, Paul is talking about right here. When Jesus offered you forgiveness, he disarmed the authorities and rulers. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4, that if you hang on to unforgiveness, it offers uh, the devil a foothold in your life. And so if you have this sense that uh, there is no possible way I could ever forgive this person for what they've done, you have entered into this position of allowing spiritual bondage in your life when Jesus came to set you free. And so those two realities are present right here in what Paul is describing to the church in Colossae, that one, if you don't think you need to offer forgiveness, you have lost sight of what Jesus has done on your behalf, or two, if you don't think you are able to offer forgiveness, that is not from the Lord and is something he needs to set you free from. You know, there is another statement that has gone into our collective knowledge that I I tried to trace the origin of uh, this week, and it's this idea that an elephant never forgets. Uh, And nobody really knows where that phrase came from. There's a lot of different theories as to where where that statement came from. And so some is like, hey, an elephant is ginormous. It has a huge brain. Of course, it never forgets. Uh, There's also, you know, groups of elephants that uh, live more in desert regions, and they can, like, remember where water is. So they'll cover thousands of miles, and they can still wind up in the same spot over sand dunes and stuff. So there's all these different theories. But there's this other theory that it came from uh, people who used to train elephants. And maybe you've heard this story, but it's this idea, and it usually goes something along the lines of somebody will see a a full-grown elephant in the circus, and, and he is staked to the ground with, like, a tent peg. So they asked the trainer, like, why doesn't that full-grown elephant just kick that stake out of the way and walk around and do whatever it wants? And it's like, well, 
We first began to train it when it was a baby and it was a tiny elephant. And so we nailed that stake to the ground and it would pull against it, pull against it, pull against it, and it could never pull that stake out. And so now it doesn't even try. And so that's where one of the theories, like an elephant never forgets, which basically means it thinks it is incapable and so it quits trying. And I think that's how a lot of us live in regards to forgiveness. That there is something that has transpired in our life, some relationship that got broken, some act that was committed against you, and you're in this position of like, I couldn't forgive them even if I tried. And you forget that the God with all power has vested his life in you. That when Jesus took the sins of the world on the cross, it disarmed all the authority, all the power, and gave all of it to Jesus Christ. And when the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And although you might not yet realize it, you will never be asked to forgive as much as you have been already forgiven. And the power of the God of the universe rests in you. And there is not a thing that could transpire in your life that Jesus wouldn't equip you to move past. We don't want to live like that elephant. We don't want to stay staked down when ultimate freedom has been offered to us in Jesus Christ. And that is the spiritual reality that we need the Holy Spirit to get deeply into our bodies so that we can live out the truth of what God has called us to. Look with me in Colossians chapter 3, the lived out goal that God calls his people to, starting in verse 12. Because of all these spiritual realities, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I love uh, some of the just verb usage within uh, the scriptures that has this uh, kind of just physical description for us where it says put on then that it does convey just like there is this action that needs to take place in us if we want to walk in the character of God of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Like it can't be passive. It's not just going to happen that we begin to um, um, live out the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. It says put on then. It has this image of just, you know, pressing into this relationship of God, of us knowing what the Bible calls the people of God to. We can't just kind of hope that happens. We need to actually take steps of faith uh, towards Jesus in living that out. So it gives all these characteristics of being God's chosen ones, that we have compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. But then it's kind of interesting to me, all of those kind of get the one word description, but then it gets to forgiveness, and he begins to expound on the idea again. Because he says, if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And so I think there is this reality that we do struggle with this specific aspect of people. So we can get our heads around the other ideas like, okay, compassionate hearts, meekness, humility, but forgiveness, Paul has to give a little bit more justification for people to get there. So that's what he says, verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. He gives that extra justification I do think when we come to this topic, we, we tend to think of the major hurts we have gone through in this life. 
But I would say there's also kind of the consistent, every single day, run-of-the-mill incidents of us needing to offer forgiveness to other people. I mean, we can see this in, in our marital relationships, that there are just little uh, maybe miscommunications that happen every single day or even in work relationships. We are constantly in this position of needing to offer forgiveness, and we might be able to evaluate where we stand by evaluating the, the small incidents versus the large incidents. And so what Colossians 3 is telling us, there's this normal rhythm to how a follower of Jesus should behave in the world around us. So it gives us some, some attributes that we are supposed to live out, including this idea of bearing with one another in love. Now, we do talk about that a lot within like, the body of Christ, that we should have good relationships in this room that we know uh, because of our human nature and because of our own innate selfishness, like sometimes relationships are gonna get fractured and th that will be in a variety of degrees. And so sometimes it's not gonna be a big deal. But we could ask ourselves: in those incidents, am I prone to forgiveness or am I prone to resentment? Do you keep lists in your head of all the people who have slightly wronged you to some degree or another? And so I think one of the ways we could begin to think about what God is calling us to is that uh, God could begin to strengthen our capacity to forgive if every single day we are living as a forgiven people. So the little trespasses, the little things that get under your skin, the little things that needle you every single day, do you hold on to those or do you give them up to the Father and bear with one another in love and forgive others as God has forgiven you or do you hang on to those? I know for myself, uh, like I can be just prone to cynicism and I recognize how often because I'll begin to repeat this phrase, uh, not typically in front of the church, usually just if I'm venting to Emily, but I'll just say, you know, people are the worst. <laughs> and this is this refrain I fall back to in my life and I, I know it's not good and it's, and it's reflective. What it does for me, it reveals the tiny capacity I have to reciprocate the love I have experienced in Jesus. Because that's how I begin to view other people. Just any little thing can set me off or I just feel like I'm, I'm fed up in that specific week and one other thing happens, even if it's not a big deal and even if the other person doesn't even realize they did something that made me mad. That's just where I revert back to. Man, people are the worst. And it shows how little I view what God has done for me. And so I love where Paul ends this and how it connects to this story of Jesus when he talks about this woman and his, her love for him. Verse 14 says, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Love binds everything together. And so I think one of the questions we could ask ourselves is not only how can we grow in forgiveness, but how could God grow our capacity to love him and love others? Because the Bible is connecting those two aspects of our spiritual life. Our capacity to love and our capacity to forgive are inextricably linked together. And so I think that needs to be one of the prayers we are asking God through the work of his Holy Spirit is increase my capacity to love him. You know, there's another adage about just kind of us as human nature that, you know, we are who we hang out with. And we've probably experienced that, you know, be, you know, there's kind of that saying that you are, you know, the sum total of your five closest friends. So like whoever you spend the most time with 
you inevitably begin to rub off on each other. You're going to be like them. You're going to pick up some of their characteristics. Maybe you have similar humor, you know. Uh, and so whoever we are consistently spending the most time with is going to have a dramatic impact on who we are as a person. And I would wonder if we've ever applied that logic to the time we actually spend with Jesus. You know, we have the uh, ability to spend time with the God of the universe every single day and to be affected and impacted by his character. And I wonder if we've ever thought about it in that regard. If I want to grow in my capacity to love and forgive, how often am I spending time around and with Jesus? Because if I want an example of a person who is able to love and forgive, there is no greater person to learn from than the person of Jesus, who not only uh, suffered incredibly at the hands of others around them, he did it on their behalf so that they could have eternal life with him. And so if this is an area of my life, maybe, maybe over these past five weeks, God's been kind of pointing out to you that there is some unforgiveness. There are some things you've been holding on to. There are some people that you feel you are punishing by not offering forgiveness. It is probably putting a ceiling on the closeness you could experience with Christ because Christ is love and Christ has forgiven. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, and you want to be impacted by him, if you want his character to be lived out in your life, we need to apply these two things together. Our time with him should begin to reveal the limitations on my capacity to love other people that are made in his image. But this is what God calls us to, that we are supposed to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I know my prayer oftentimes for myself is that I do want to grow in my love for God, And I do think it is interesting how Jesus equates those two things. That those who have been forgiven little, love little. But those who have been forgiven much, love much. And I know my prayer for myself and for us as a church is that we would be a place that loves much. And for that to take place for all of us collectively, we need to recognize that we need to forgive much. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and that you looked on your sinful people and extended forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That you did not hold our sins against us, God, but you nailed them to the cross so that we could be forgiven. God, every single one of us is a product of your mercy And we have all been forgiven so much more than we would ever be asked to forgive. God, help us collectively to grow as a people of forgiveness because of the love that we have for you and the love that we've experienced through you. God, that we would uh, let go of pettiness and little disputes 
God, that you would grow our capacity to forgive. God, and if there are just hurts in our past that we have felt incapable of releasing, God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that people would feel freedom today. God, that you have disarmed that bondage. You have disarmed that stronghold, triumphing over it. God, help us to recognize that it's, it's not on us, God. It's your power in us that allows us to let go so that ultimately we can experience freedom in Christ. God, I just ask for your presence to reveal that in this room this morning. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.